Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, Season 2, Lies, Spies, and Corporate Crimes. Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. The Wirecard Saga is a production of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you, Tom. And Happy New Year to you, and Happy New Year's listeners. Here's to a healthier 2022 for all. Welcome to Episode 32, or Season 2, Episode 3, Shell Games. Lies, Spies, and Corporate Crimes, The Wirecard Saga. Okay, the other day a listener asked why I hadn't covered a little kerfuffle involving Marsalik some months ago. Well, it was sort of a non-event, but... Let's turn briefly to the breathless story various news outlets covered some time back, involving none other than our favorite miscreant, Jan Marsalek, and payment made for his fiancée's rent. Oh, yes, Jan is in love. Could this be his undoing? No, not likely. So here's what happened. This past spring, I told you this story came out this past fall, Handelsblatt dug it up. All right, going back quite a ways. Last spring, a conscientious bank employee with the first Fugger Bank had happened to note an 80,000 euro transfer came into an account belonging to the landlord of a luxury apartment building in Munich. Who happens to live in said apartment? None other than the future Mrs. Marsalek. Uh, there's really someone for everyone, isn't there? The property, meow, the, the re- property reported to be near the English garden area purportedly runs about 6,600 euros a month. Not cheap, but honestly, given rent prices these days, not as bad as it could be. What strikes the bank money laundering officer as an important detail is that the wire transfer coming from a bank in the UAE says, for Jan. Now, before we get too excited and think some AML compliance officer really went above and beyond, the Munich public prosecutor was already watching the fiancé for evidence of communications, and the landlord piped up. Okay, so the media... Oh, you'd think Marsalek had staggered into the courtroom with a wooden leg, claiming Bertrand as his wife, for all their breathless coverage. So the media picks it up. Now, what was vaguely entertaining is that the wire came from a Jamil Yudin Ahmed. Now, if one suspects Marsalek of thinking he's a clever clogs, then knowing that Marsalek has used pseudonyms in the past, the the use of this name could just be another example of him thinking, ain't I all this and more? You see, there is a famous, well, if you're Bengali or know the history of Pakistan, former director general of what became the Bengali intelligence forces, Brigadier General Jamil Uddin Ahmed, Bir Uttam. He was the only one to sacrifice his life to try and save uh, Bandu during the Bengali Civil War. Is this Marsalik trying to be clever? The DG of intelligence is meant to be him? Is he sacrificing himself? What, for love? Dear God. Apparently, said fiancé wanted out of her lease owed back rent to the landlord, and there was a pending eviction proceeding, which was actually against Marsalek since he held the lease for said girlfriend. So the media got itself all worked up about this uh, late-to-the-wire news, speculating, could it mean he's alive? 
Oh, for heaven's sake, we didn't think he was dead. Has no one ever heard of online banking? You can be anywhere in the world and conduct financial transactions. I know, novel concept. One could be cozied up in one, say, Dacha, and skip the online and just phone one's banker in the UAE and direct wire transfer. Not difficult. Add the Jamil name to the list of other pseudonyms used by Marsalik, like Richard Dabrowski and Karim Ghazmi. Now, what is interesting, in sort of an amusing, not-true way, that quietly showed up earlier this year was a recently formed British company, JM Consult Limited, incorporated in May by and for, beneficial owner that is, one Jan Marsalik, a company dedicated to, quote, financial consulting and financial management. Now, typically, this would be just entirely too obvious. Then again, the address the company ostensibly operates from is a scruffy terraced house in Greenford. That's in Middlesex for you not up on your English towns. Sitting there in Bannister Close, a rundown residential street, literally next door to an address of some other companies, also in a weird apartment, organized by a self-proclaimed Bulgarian lawyer, Eleonora uh, Dimitrova Stumpf, connected to Werner Stumpf, a nice German. And one of those companies, Hexagon Trading, formed years ago, languishing in this dumpy little flat. Now, Eleonora had another company, ENY UK Limited, but it shut down. And then there's also a Bulgarian company by a similar name, JM Consult, just sitting there too. Can someone check that out for me? If you're in the region, swing by. Maybe ask if Jan is willing to give a statement. <laughs> okay, really, seriously, on to more serious stuff. Oh, let's talk shell companies. Shell companies and front companies. I know, I know. Many of you have wondered, how was this massive deception that was Wirecard able to ever occur? So there is value in performing, call it an autopsy of sorts, in understanding the foundation that was established that allowed Wirecard to build to the massive money laundering machine that it was. So over the next few episodes of this new season, I'm going to take us on an historical journey. Call it an origin story. Examining the history of the players, questionable investors, and the formative years. The DNA of this company, had anyone actually bothered to look at its history and antecedents, would have recognized that there was bad DNA, corrupt DNA, from the beginning, and that the company was almost certain to result in the outcome it did. You know Hegel's theory on the importance of history. And for you modernists, George Santayana reminded us, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. More importantly, tracing the early money and investment from back then helps us find out where the money went as Wirecard imploded. There's a whole lot of cash that wants tracing. And you know, to follow the money, well, you've got to begin at the beginning. Let's start with James Henry, or Hank, or just O'Sullivan. Well, most of you by now have likely heard, several months ago, Singaporean authorities arrested Henry O'Sullivan, now charged with five counts of issuing instructions to falsify documents. Technically, technically, he was charged with violating Section 477 of the Singaporean Penal Code, fraudulently or dishonestly, let's cut to the chase, with intent involving certain documents or secrets, including valuable securities. 
Imprisonment for such an offence? Up to 15 years. Yikes. O'Sullivan was also charged with Section 109 violations, but really this second one is a catch-all for abetment. Now, Henry is alleged to have instructed Citadel's R. Shanmugaratnam to issue letters on the Citadel letterhead and send them over to Wirecard AG, Wirecard UK Ireland, Wookiee, and Card Systems in the UAE, claiming to be the trustee of varying and not sundry amounts of cash in escrow accounts on behalf of said entities. Now, there are a number of interesting points to be made about this latest twist. First up, it will be interesting to see how the Singaporeans play this as Card Systems was a bogus entity engaged in fraud as well. Wookie is implicated in having misplaced several hundred million from its own accounts and is associated with money laundering. Oh, and then there's the issue of some of Wookie's executives connected to other financial crimes. Remember, Wookie leads to Alan White and Marsalek, White leads to Herview Limited Ireland, subsidiary of Wirecard, former name Planet Merlot, whose investors included several Swiss entities, but were, which were run by Mark Nathan, Liam Granger, Granger, partner with Nokelman, running both the DPO group and, of course, tied to the Cartoo brothers, Grey Mountain, there's Marsalek again, 3G Direct Pay, and binary option sites. Don't worry, I am getting around to link charting for you listeners. So, in some ways... Henry's direction to Shan to lie to Wookiee and card systems? It's, it's like crook on crook crime. Wirecard was harmed in the making of this deception, but tough to make them out as the victim here. Deceiving Wirecard AG? Pff, given that it was Wirecard's top execs directing some of the deceptions, it's convenient to lay it all at O'Sullivan's feet, but that kind of misses a lot. However, it does give us an excellent entry point into the early history. Oh, did I mention? Hank's out on $150,000 bail, chump change for him, according to the court record at least. Now, Tito Isaac, lawyer to O'Sullivan, emphasized Henry's supposed close ties to Singapore. You know, the wife, the kids they're studying, one of several homes. The prosecutor's office argued, remand him. He's only going to blab and conspire with others in the greater group of fraudsters. Ugh, but they let him out. Meanwhile, there's poor Shan, stuck in prison, unable to run his other businesses now that he's left Citadel. What will happen to Netcom Business Solutions, Aero World Aviation, and Fullerton Luxury Rentals? Oh no. All right, let's turn back to Henry. There's been a freeze-on of excitement over Hank's detention, as if somehow this was going to break open every laundering scheme ever run through WireGuard. I think one news outlet suggested O'Sullivan was somehow at the, quote, very heart of Wirecard, the linchpin, if you will. Uh, maybe a bit of an overstatement. Let's clear some misconceptions up. It's true. O'Sullivan set up quite a number of entities through which Wirecard's fraud and laundering exercises were run. But we need to put this in context. O'Sullivan, who whilst born in the UK holds Vanuatu citizenship, citizenship by investment, every tax-dodging expat's dream to clutch the passport of some minor country with zero diplomatic power. What was that about close ties to Singapore? <laughs> His Vanuatu status actually could make extradition to Germany tricky. Vanuatu has extradition treaties with other Commonwealth countries, but not Germany. Oh, and not the US. So the line of inquiry to O'Sullivan... 
it may not go as far as it should. Unsurprisingly, Vanuatu, in Fata's latest review of the country, was awarded the lowest possible rating in all 11 areas assessed for AML effectiveness. Race to the bottom, looks like we have a winner! Like I said, tax dodging, shell company creating, expat dream. Well, that is until you get arrested in a Commonwealth jurisdiction like Singapore. Henry, it could be worse. You could be in a Thai prison with no family members to bring you lunch. Let's look at how O'Sullivan really fits in here. He, with still several active entities in Luxembourg, including but not limited to Kyrene, SIRL, and Senjo Payments Europe, yeah, still going, what the hell, Walton Consulting Limited with the Van Rennens, still an active UK company, and Kyrene and Mauritius, oh, and an entity or two in Vanuatu, in fact, he really hasn't shut up shop, and I expect, given the limited charges in Singapore, may be feeling a tad smug. Oh, Pandora Papers, are those some nominee directors you've got in that clutch of documents you're holding? Now, amusingly enough, just as Walton Consulting was going to be struck off, someone updated the company accounts and records with UK Companies House just the other week. Just a month or so after Van Rennen Incorporated Growth Hub Services Limited. Did anybody else note the drain of monies out of Walton in the most recent filing? Emptied it. Keep that money on the move. They're so industrious, this lot. All right, back to fitting in O'Sullivan to the greater world of Wirecard. Ooh, I feel like a spin-off. There. Could, could we have a second show, World of Wirecard? I don't know. Sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? How did O'Sullivan make his money early on, and just how does this fit with how Wirecard would evolve? It features his business partner, David Van Rennen. Now, quick history on the Van Rennens. The Van Rennen family, British via pre-partition India-Pakistan, guardians and exploiters of empire for several centuries. Granny Van Rennen, uh, still holding on to Pakistan, uh, still holding on in Pakistan, had given daddy's, uh, David's daddy land in then Rhodesia. And David Ran Renan, born in newly minted Pakistan, moves to South Africa, grew up there, and founded the brokerage firm Mathiasen and Holridge, and was an early stockbroker on the Joburg Stock Exchange. Now he's ping-ponged around various former pink bits of empire: Australia, South Africa, Singapore, Hong Kong, Pakistan, and of course, those holdings in the south of France and Monaco. The Van Renan South of France pile in Avignon, not that far up the road from Bronze Riviera home. Anywho, David managed to pick up passports from several former colonies, Australia included. Handy went offshoring. David's son Charlie tragically was victim of, a, of the Bali terrorist attacks in 2002. But at that time, Charlie had been living and working in IT in Singapore and Hong Kong, working with Daddy David on emerging tech companies. That's right, David Ran Renan already had early Singapore and Hong Kong IT companies dedicated to payment processing. Later, Van Rennen O'Sullivan would have, amongst other companies, TMG Pay, Hong Kong, formerly Minerva, linking them both back to Aloysius Madu, that's a whole other episode, isn't it, and Pay2 Fintech Limited, to name but a few. So there's Van Rennen. Of South Africa, Pakistan, Australia, France, the UK, and incorporator of many a UK entity. Now, to understand O'Sullivan, we need to get into our trusty time machine and head back to the year 1995. 
to a company called Earthport PLC, originally monikered by Van Rennen as Electronic Fundraising Company. (laughs) A truly apt name for the enterprise to come. At any rate, at one point, called Earthpoint Limited, Earthport Limited, which later is sold and many years later becomes Visa Payments Limited, Earthport Limited spawns dozens of offshoots, from EP3 to Earthport Solutions and so much more, all ably incorporated by O'Sullivan. Earthport entities, at one point, at least on paper, span the globe from Delaware to Hong Kong. What, as a company, did Earthport provide? Well, some of the first electronic wallets for, of course you guessed it by now, you're such savvy listeners, online gambling and porn. I think one of the funniest bits is EP3's early website that claimed that its closed-loop system helped to minimize fraud and money laundering. Seriously, when I first read it, I think I may have spit my tea out laughing. According to its own corporate history, in 1995, the company was running some of the first online lotteries, not yet illegal at that juncture, and, quote, taking small payments in multiple currencies and paying out worldwide. (laughs) Yeah, no risk of fraud and laundering there. Earthport went on to develop online gaming at a portal for internet gambling. And just for context, folks, Netscape was the browser of choice back then, and Google hadn't even been formed. By April 2000, Earthport had raised £25 million on the OFAX, and Van Rennen O'Sullivan are at the top of the heat of Earthport PLC. Van Rennen, with a guy named Alan Tucker, had technically helped found the company. Van Rennen was a director, later becoming CEO. O'Sullivan served as CTO of Earthport. Now, a string of others cycled through. Robert George Many, Richard Andrew Flood, Rob Cunningham. But this was always Van Rennen's baby, ably offshored by O'Sullivan. By 2001, Earthport claimed it had launched its first business delivery channel. Now, it did suffer a temporary setback that year, and more on that in a minute. And along the way, Earthport changes its name and fosters numerous subsidiaries and related parties, such as Earthport Transaction Services AG, based in Liechtenstein, and Zabadu, formerly Earthport Entertainment Limited. And yes, it was that kind of entertainment. In 2002, Earthport claimed it developed and produced payment processing systems and applications for prospective and acquired clients. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? And here's where the history really starts to become intriguing. Another one of Earthport's leadership team slots happens to be another piece in the Wirecard puzzle. Because as then CEO of Earthport, James Bergman would go on to become COO of Philippines-based PayEasy Solutions International. You know, Christopher Bauer's company that Marsalek was tied into. Quick digression, German national Bauer also operated Ashazi services for the briefest period of time in 2011. You remember that. And it was Bergman who told folks Ashazi was a viable company with real employees. Not. I think one of my favorite moments with PayEasy appears in a 2011 pitch deck the company was using to sell its services. 
On the Contact Us slide, which lists Bauer as CEO and Bergman as COO, here is this supposedly global payment solutions company that claims it is aiming to be the, quote, number one provider of said. And the email addresses for Bauer and Bergman are their personal Apple iCloud, iCloud account emails. At me.com. The company didn't even set up a domain email. Nothing says legitimate global company like not having corporate email. Bergman was also secretary to another Earthport offshoot run by O'Sullivan and Van Rennen, Zabadoo.com Limited, subsidiary of the Liechtenstein Holding Company and Cyprus-based Zabadoo Limited, which transformed into the aforementioned Earthport Entertainment. But Bergman was also all over other Earthport entities. He was a board member, after all including the one in Asia that ties back in to some of our other Wirecard friends. Andy held roles with Earthport-related entities, ePal Limited, Mobile Pay Limited, Travel Pay Limited, InsurePay Limited, and Centurion Payment Solutions. <laughs> Gosh, doesn't this sound familiar? Now, according to his current bio, Bergman is still in fintech, and conveniently, he's living in Florida. That's good, so that way U.S. regulators don't have to fuss with extradition requests. So, there we are in the early aughts. O'Sullivan's name is all over regulatory filings for dozens of Van Rennen's companies, most of which are focused on digital payments and link back in some way to Earthboard. Now, it was David's son, Daniel Van Rennen, who was understood to have brought O'Sullivan into the Van Rennen business fold. And Daniel... He's also all over Walpay and Walton and other entities that came and went over the years with O'Sullivan. And O'Sullivan, he's been forming these entities for Father Van Rennen out of his office in the Isle of Man. More on that in a moment. Both Van Rennen and O'Sullivan purchased apartments in Monaco. After all, one doesn't want to have to pay one's full taxes, does one? O'Sullivan is CTO, and Tucker and Van Rennen control 60% of Earthport PLC pre-IPO. Now, Earthport is listed on AIM in 2001, with Van Rennen as chairman. Graham Newell is CEO, Tucker is CFO, and another guy, Adrian Brink, is listed as CTO. But only a few months later, Earthport is suspended from the AIM. Management, strategy, and operational issues e.g. missing money and cash flow problems. Nonetheless, Earthport agreed to a rescue package which saw Van Rennen move to a non-executive director role temporarily, whilst Newhall and Tucker, or Newell, sorry, and Tucker tucktail and departed. But Earthport is back up and readmitted to AIM at the start of 2002, Van Rennen at the helm and O'Sullivan right by his side. Now, recall, I gave you the early history of the online gambling scene and how U.S. regulators began cracking down on it back in, go back to episode 24. During the early years of online gambling, various subsidiaries and offshoots of Earthport were being created. In 2002, O'Sullivan becomes CTO of a special purpose vehicle of Earthports called Pay2 Limited, Incorporated, naturally in the Isle of Man. O'Sullivan Incorporated Pay2 Systems Limited in the Isle of Man, as well as Pay2 International in Guernsey. He's so industrious. Pay2 goes gangbusters. That's the numeric two, by the way, not spelled out. 
At its apogee, the entity was processing in excess of 50 million pounds a month of online transactions, all derived from Earthport's core online business. And remember, this is 2002. These are the early days. And this comes back to our origin story. In fact, none other than Wirecard South Africa's COO Peter Stunsland's prior gig, CFO to Pay2 Limited. Pay2 Limited was held by PayGuard Inc., another Van Rennen company. This one, Nevada Incorporated, run out of London. Now, it would subsequently be shut down by the US SEC in 2015, but that's a story for another day. And Pay2 Limited, according to its own published web pages back in 2003 and 4, operated Pay2 Casinos Online. They also operated and offered prepaid Visa cards for use in dozens of its online gambling sites like Bella Vegas, Golden Reef, Fortune Junction, Action Online, and other pay-to-deposit casinos, which also accepted other early e-payments. One of the things pay-to bragged about back then was that it facilitated transactions in, quote, real-time, online, anywhere in the world and reached those who, quote, wished not to use regular methods of payment, regardless of age or status. (laughs) Starting to detect some significant overlaps. And Pay2, which at one point declared it held just over 1% interest in PayGuard, well, not exactly, the corporate family ties run a little deeper than that. Another Wirecard moment coming up. Pay2 processed the card payments that PayGuard issued on behalf of, wait for it, FBME Bank. And listeners, don't tell me you've forgotten FBME. You've got to go back to episodes 3, 4, 7, 14, 20, 24. Oh, good grief. Need I go on? Okay. Oh, yes. During FBME's laundering height days, and those were heady laundering days, Pay2 was the account holder of FBME accounts that PayGuard ran transactions through. And if all of that doesn't make you say, huh, that was back when? 2003? You mean just as Wirecard was in its toddler phase and the same people who helped get Wirecard going already had the same business model running via these other entities? By the way, did I mention Wirecard casinos? <laughs> I'll have to cover that entity in detail in another episode. So Pay2. Pay2 under O'Sullivan and Van Runnen takes us to yet another scandal. An Australian online gaming scheme dreamt up by Australian Greg Kennedy. Now one has to dive fairly deep into Australian Competition and Consumer Commission regulatory filings to locate the regulatory enforcement action the commission took against Kennedy and his company, World Play Services PT Limited, or WPS, back in 2004. World Play was brought to heel by the commission for selling a pyramid scheme via online gambling. The scheme involved providing gaming services in over 50 countries, though principally in Scandinavia. Its first online casino launched out of Norway in 2003. WorldPlay traded under the name World Games Inc., or WGI, and from what the commission could unravel, appeared, 
and appearances can be so deceptive, to be owned by Pacific Delta Investments Limited, or PIDDLE, as I like to call it, a company incorporated in the BVI. Now, WGI's internet website used the registered domain name worldgamesinc.com registered to WPS. See how this is going in a circle? As even the commission archly observed, it, quote, appeared to be some number of offshore companies involved. There's an understatement. In the published rules, World Play Small Print said that World Game Inc. rules were a, quote, membership agreement between an applicant member, Piddle, and yet another company, Palladium Technologies Limited, a company registered in Gibraltar to which a new member's participation payment is made. Ha, another branch spiraling off? O'Sullivan is a master at moving that pearl under the shells. So no matter which one gets turned over, the pearl's already moved on. To get around the pesky regulators, WorldPlay and Piddle told punters, oh yeah, you can't join if you live in Australia. Now, the WorldPlay scheme claimed the only way to play in the offered online games was to be, quote, introduced by an existing member and then pay in to participate. Prospective members were told that they were then entitled to receive benefits from and because of the, their introduction of yet new members. See, it's like a, it's a, it's like a uh, multilateral scheme. There were so-called benefits, and the games took the form of online casinos, virtual stock market games, and lotteries. Those foolish enough to pay a member fee were then rewarded with... That's right. Stored value digital cash cards. And those cash cards? They were issued by none other than Pay2 Limited, the O'Sullivan and Van Rennen Isle of Man Company. One could get a prestige card, it was yellow, a red card, or a garden variety green standard Pay2 card. Now, complimentary products offered by WorldPlay? According to the commission, the products... Uh, that assisted WGI members in utilizing the core WGI products were the Pay2 cards and Pay2 accounts. WGI itself advertised it provided access to its members to online casinos. They could play Keno, Blackjack, Poker, Roulette, Bingo. They could wager full sports book. Yeah, full sports book wagering. And they claimed that through patented programs, players could play the virtual stock market and join in sweepstakes and become one of the high rollers of the casino and earn more money as you introduce your friends to the earning power of the World Games, Inc. system. (laughs) That was the scheme part. The critical product, though, that was the offshore credit cards Pay2 provided because this was a launderer and tax evader's dream vehicle. Now, interestingly, the commission highlighted that WPS and Piddle, in a separate civil dispute, had acknowledged that Kennedy also owned another company known as ECW Incorporated in Western Samoa, and that ECW and Kennedy had admitted that whilst WPS was an active participant in the greater WGI scheme, with Kennedy's affidavit actually said, I have direct knowledge of all aspects of the business of WPS and the business of Piddle. EWC is under contract with Piddle 
to provide management administration. Services to Piddle in respect to Piddle's business in which Piddle trades as World Games, Inc., WGI. But the commission had identified that there was a much larger online scheme than was just admitted to by Kennedy. In fact, with a company in the BVI having overall control and having service companies contributing to the scheme operating out of the UK, Gibraltar, the Dutch Antilles, Mauritius, Canada, Norway, Australia, and just how well did WPS do before the commission wrung the scruff of its neck? The gross fee for services received by WPS for a one-year period leading up to the enforcement action in 2004 was about Australian 8,000, 8, 8 million. WPS's corporate tax return in 2003, did I mention that Kennedy is also conveniently a registered Australian tax agent? Ah, yay, go enablers. <laughs> Disclosed on its P&L in July 2003 that its expenditures on travel and entertainment that year had exceeded 2 million almost 100% increase on the prior year. Now, those online gambling entities, they were doing just fine. In fact, in 2005, despite the commission's enforcement action, WGI was renamed Aspiritus. Aspiritus Corp. was created in Nevada, while Aspiritus Holdings Limited was formed in Cyprus. And that led to Leisure Holdings and World Games Leisure, both in uh, in that and both of which Kennedy was an officer of, and also formed in 2005 on the heels of WGI's renaming. A spiritist PTE popped up in Singapore that same year. And then quietly in Curaçao, a spiritist casino NV, a spiritist lotteries, a spiritist virtual stock exchange, and a spiritist NV, all incorporated. And pay to well, it just kept processing and spending money for those entities. But Van Rennen and O'Sullivan didn't stop there. They were also running Waltech Services PLC back in 2003. You know, it later became Walpay, Central to Wirecard's Troubles in Asia. In 2007, Waltech, already heavily held by Van Rennen and O'Sullivan, proposed to acquire a 27% stake in an entity called Payment Systems Limited. PSL, another entity these two already held stakes in. So really, Van Rennen and O'Sullivan, then respectively referenced as chairman and managing director of Waltech, were handing themselves money. For just under £3 million via £376,000 cash and the issuance, the balance in shares, Van Rennen and O'Sullivan, who already held a nearly 43% stake in Waltech, through this PSE deal, PSL, through this PSL deal, increased their holdings in Waltech to just over 61%. Now, Waltech had, at their direction, at their direction, already invested in Alchemics International and then subsequently sold the investment to Alchemics using an interest swap, where Waltech swapped its interest in Trident Gaming Limited, which included profits in connection with its sale of game bookers to party gaming. 
Seriously, you have to go back to episode 24. For shares in Payment Systems Limited, PSL, which had been held by Trident Gaming and a couple of other third parties. Trident Gaming, it was an Isle of Man Incorporated entity that was an offshoot of Betbug Limited, another UK company owned by Van Rennen and O'Sullivan, along with a few other key people. And it goes without saying that Betbug also had numerous offshore entities in, sh- oh, I should say, had numerous Shellco entities in offshore jurisdictions. Trident Gaming also had a Malta present, Natch, and multiple previous names, including Australian entities, Trident Gaming PT Limited, aka Badgers at Toad Hall, and Hygienic Solutions Australia. And of course, more Isle of Man entities, including Selwood Place Holdings. And Trident Gaming? Well, it was sold to Party Gaming. And remember, Party Gaming merges with BWIN, and already the nascent wirecard is there processing for BWIN? See how tidy that is? So with the Waltech PSL deal, Waltech's assets are nearly three are a nearly three-quarter stake in PSL, plus about a mil cash. But then Renan and O'Sullivan say they intend to build Waltech's future out of its investment in PSL because PSL is an Isle of Man registered online payment processing company. It's already a registered MSB. Woohoo! Golden ticket, Charlie. Oh, the things we can do with an MSB. PSL offers not just payment processing, but an e-wallet system, escrow accounts, a, quote, specialized hosting facility on the Isle of Man by yet another O'Sullivan Isle of Man Incorporated entity, Domicilium Limited. And as Walton Walton Consulting Limited, another O'Sullivan company, was already providing the resources for running PSL, well, this just keeps the money flowing in a tidy circle. In fact, PSL just happened to already have its own subsidiary before Waltech was introduced, a South African company called eCash Solutions. Now, supposedly, PSL, PSL already had 10 major merchants or networks it was processing for that comprised some 75% of its turnover. Doesn't that sound familiar? Oh, yes, we have TPAs. <laughs> to conclude the deal with Waltech and PSL, Pay P2P Limited, yet another O'Sullivan and Van Rennen company that was formerly known as Intercept Risk Services International Limited, that's a mouthful, no wonder they shortened it to Pay P2P, had to agree to release a million pound debt obligation PSL owed to it. In the ultimate deal, O'Sullivan's PSL acquisition shares went into another O'Sullivan-controlled entity, Ubique Holdings Limited. And Ubique leads us to some interesting places. Ubique Holdings Limited, formed in 2004, was yet another Isle of Man entity, exhausting, I know, all these IOMs, serving as the formation agents and providing nominee directors to Ubique, none other than Fortress Management, whom you'll hear more about shortly. But Ubique has other related companies. 
Ubique Global Solutions Holdings Incorporated in Belize, and Ubique Holdings Inc. in Panama, formed by none other than Mossack Fonseca. The Panamanian Ubique lasted through 2018. And there are others, one for a time in Malta, another serving as the intermediary to dozens of companies in Jersey, and a Ubique Holdings in South Africa. You know, stay true to those Van Rennen roots. So there's Hank with Ubique. Now put him on your dashboard and watch his head wobble for a moment. Van Rennen ultimately sold Earthport for $320 million to Visa, hence the name change. And he and O'Sullivan went on to create more offshore shell companies related to online gambling and the processing of payments for those seeking to evade the watchful eyes of regulators and enforcers. Hank may have made some early money dabbling in online gambling and porn site hosting, but really, where O'Sullivan cut his teeth and learned his lucrative trade? That was on the Isle of Man. O'Sullivan has served as the nominee director of a multiplicity of companies. Delphinium, with its presence on the Isle of Man and Mauritius, for instance. Delphinium, tied to IQEQ Limited, one of those full-service formation agent companies offering bespoke offshore corporate services. O'Sullivan is tied to the CAFICOM Trust in Luxembourg, and that one, in turn, was related to Hesperus and Luxembourg and the Isle of Man. You know, you recognize it as the forerunner to Senjo. Hesperus, which shared an address on the Isle of Man with none other than Premier Gateway International, whose slogan is, we know wagering. Sure, because they were licensed for gaming back in 2006. Run by South Africans and Brits. <laughs> so many coincidences. And shared an address with Hesperus that begot Senjo. The nationality of the folks involved and the gaming. Oh. What I really love is PGI's statement on their website, and I quote, Your partner of choice for international co-mingling. <laughs> Premier Gateway International. Your partner for choice for international co-mingling. Do you think they were being ironic? Co-mingling being a key action in the cycle of money laundering. <laughs> they can't possibly have been that ignorant. See, we have O'Sullivan with Senjo, Bijli Pay, Gumo, OCRA, Offshore, but he in turn is linked to others, other enablers, including Roy Philip Harding. Oh, Roy, baby, don't you worry, we'll get you in just a tick. Tied to Gumo is Vuchak and Marsalik and IMS Capital, and tied to those two through IMS Capital, well, get now, which just happened to be represented by Isle of Man situated. IQEQ, you know, the same offshore service provider that handled O'Sullivan's Delphinium Capital. O'Sullivan isn't the biggest fish. He's just one of the many who earn or earned, and I think he's still earning, their living providing layers between the true beneficial owners of these dodgy offshore structures. Let's turn our attention now to, to Roy Philip Harding, O'Sullivan's colleague in the shell game. Roy Pumpkin, you must be sweating bullets right now. Still hold up in Luxembourg and just hoping Europol will somehow look past you? Still have that access to Bulgaria? Harding, South African-born Brit. Ah, there it is again, South African-born Brit. Who seemingly forgot to get an additional citizenship by investment passport from some tropical paradise. 
Harding, he of Hawk Consulting, living the expat life, umbrella drinks, a bit of rumpy pumpy, and tax avoidance. What could go wrong? Uh, See, Harding has a lengthy history serving as the nominee director of a myriad of entities, all the way back to Mizzen Securities, and you can find Mizzen in the Panama Papers, when Harding was one of the directors, along with agent Mossack Fonseca, as the front for a Venezuelan petroleum group that didn't want folks to know who was really benefiting from those sales. And think back, Sendro Trading Private Limited, another O'Sullivan-Harding venture, it dabbled in petro monies too. Things that make you go, hmm. So Harding, he gets around. After a stint in Namibia, he came to the Isle of Man. <laughs> Where else does a self-respecting accountant aspiring to help optimize offshore structures go? Harding spent time as an offshore services guy for Bidvest Group and then stopped being coy about his services and moved to Fortress Management. That's right, Fortress Management Services also on the aisle. What does Fortress do? Well, trusts, offshore formations, offshore banking, tax optimization or avoidance, accounting and bespoke services. And there, Harding Meadow Sullivan. And then Harding went to work for Walpay in 2008 before becoming Senjo Payment Europe's executive director in 2015. Now, on paper, he didn't stay in the role long but that was just because he was serving a limited purpose. Harding connected to, amongst so many other entities, Tower Investments in Cyprus, Hawk Consulting in Luxembourg, Minerva Data Limited in the UK, Waltech, Walpay, you know those names, Hawk Investments, Carwood Investments held with Fortress Advisory founder Roger Bennett, Bid Commercial Products, Skillworth, and Qtail. And we'll come right back to Qtail in a moment. It is through Harding that Bishley Pay was linked to Okra, Offshore Services, a global formation agent service that advertises, quote, robust business solutions for entrepreneurs wanting a presence in the UK and European markets. Gotta love euphemisms and doublespeak. And through Bishley to Shan and O'Sullivan to OCAP and Gumo to Tomio and Vuchok, and recall Walpay's zillion different iterations as it moved European offshore destinations until today where it transformed into TMG Pay, which begot Lucky Dragon Investments. Did I mention Hawk Consulting in Bulgaria? Roy Pumpkin, how do you keep it straight when you answer the phone? Which company am I meant to be this hour? Oh. Cape Town-born Harding ties to the Van Rennens and various gaming groups as well. Recall, Waltech Asia became Bishley Pay, and connects this lot to the Wirecard South Africa guys. Remember Peter Stenslund? He, once of the British company BlackRock Design Limited, registered through ETAC Solutions, and Alan West, who sold his Amara Technologies to Wirecard South Africa, and whose bio notes that he helped form, quote, partnerships of several fintech and payment companies in the UK, South Africa, and Mauritius. Now, interestingly, Amara became Cyber Planet Media in Singapore, with a few name changes in between. And savvy listeners remember West because he was part of the Isle of Man Incorporated entities, iCity Africa Limited, iCity Holdings Limited, and Cybernex Limited. This last one with a parent company, Cybernex Holdings in the Bahamas. Stay true to your offshore antecedents. 
let's turn back to Roy himself and set aside his buddies. Specifically, let's look at Qtail. Because Qtail India Private Limited that Harding ran links us to yet more fun. Harding was an officer of Qtail alongside four others, including, including Timothy William and Pichai Arun Kumar. In a rather, well, lazy effort, quite honestly, Qtail India used Bishley Pay's domain for its email. Pichai Arun Kumar leads us to Maru Data, another company Harding seems to have connections to, as well as to skill with technology, where Harding and Waltech Asia and a few others are were the shareholders, and fellow officers to Harding, including Timothy Williams and Arun Kumar. Yeah, elliptical, but it ultimately comes back to the same players. There's O'Sullivan, and there are the Van Rennens, and there's Harding. Now, it's Green Malibu Finance Ventures Limited that takes us further in. Arun Kumar is an officer of this entity and an officer of Gumo Orbit Corporate and Leisure Travels India, along with uh, Rupan Vasant uh, Vikamse, Rajan Puri, uh, and Raghav, uh, Vadudevan uh, Raghavan, who is also an officer of MindLogic's Infratech, that old O'Sullivan entity, and Ramesh Kumar Balasundaram. And Balasundaram takes us not only to Wirecard Forex India, but to more than a dozen other entities, including ME Accounting and Financial Services Private Limited. And from Wirecard Forex, it's a short leap to GI Technology Private Limited. You know that name. The company that the Ramasamy brothers owned and sold to Wirecard, whereupon Manoj Kumar Sahu joins Balasandram, uh, Balasandaram and others running that entity. And from there... Sahu is also added to Wirecard India alongside Singapore EVP of Financial Institutions Wirecard and Fuxan. But Harding, he's right there in the thick of it alongside O'Sullivan. And there are others who serve as nominee directors for some of these same entities that bear scrutiny. After all, our boy Roy is so busy, he can't possibly handle all the administration himself. Enter Keith James Woodhead chartered accountant, ain't that convenient, who also was an officer of Qtail with Harding, but Qtail Limited in the UK. Oh, and he was an officer in Harding's Minerva Data Limited in the UK. And strikingly enough, Woodhead, he was also an officer at PXP Financial Group Limited. You recall the UK company that was Vincento Payment Solutions and Calixapay and BW Pay, Nordicone Limited, CQR UK Payment Solutions, Servebase Groups Limited, Abacus Partners Limited, now Navio Limited. And seriously, if you've forgotten PXP, go back to episode 24. And PXP officers, Siraj Paul Singh and Richard Harry Willett. Remember Willett was the American that was using Shan's email at Citadel? And suddenly we've left India and arrived back in Singapore. He also served as finance manager to Walpay in the Isle of Man. Recall, it was that Cayman National Bank in the IOM that Walpay applied to, seeking to open that bank account back in 2014, ostensibly so it could work with Wirecard. (laughs) Remember, Walpay gets tossed out on its ear by the IOM regulators and lands in Luxembourg, whereupon O'Sullivan and Harding change its name to Hesperus, move some of the money to Kyrene Holdings, who holds Senjo Payments Europe in their portfolio, 
and then have to change the company name again, settling for a time on Minerva Management Services, and then down the TMG payo, down that rabbit hole. And for now, Yoshio Tomi, still shown as the UBO of PXP. It's a cross-border miracle going in one giant elliptical orbit. Or it's like the ultimate set of Matrushka dolls. This is, of course, the point of forming hundreds of opaque shell companies in jurisdictions that make accessing the true beneficial ownership information difficult to impossible. Incorporation agents know that intermediaries or enablers, lawyers, bankers, trusts, tax optimization accountants, know where to direct their clients who wish to obscure who really controls the corporate entities and the money that flows in and out of them. The founder of one of the so-called offers of bespoke services, e.g. anonymous trusts and shell companies on the Isle of Man, the one I mentioned, Fortress Management Services, the founder, Roger Bennett, and his son, Edward, both lawyers. Harding worked with and for them at Fortress. Where better to learn the trade? Fortress on the Isle of Man has created companies associated with O'Sullivan and Wirecard and a dozen investment entities Harding holds for others, like Tower and Cypress. The name says it all. Fortress. Opaque structures designed to shield the scrutiny of regulators. Cossack corporate services who help bring about infogenie in various jurisdictions. It's another one. Fortress is by no means the only incorporate agent, incorporation agent to offer bespoke services. As the Pandora Papers and so many leaks before them demonstrate, this is no cottage industry. Legions of lawyers and accountants make a very good living forming these structures for anyone who can afford the service. In the past quarter century, the world has experienced an unprecedented growth in transnational organized crime. Transnational crime is nearly unrecognizable from only a couple of decades ago. I should know, I've been working on it for 30 years. This has been driven by a combination of factors, not least of which includes Infotech and networks of global correspondent banking that allow for financial flows aided by the same jurisdictions that offer offshore shell corporations to conceal beneficial ownership and assets with lax oversight of both AML enforcement and transparency. E-cash, which Wirecard specialized in, is even harder to trace than real cash, as the ease with which it can flow around the world makes it twice as hard for the authorities to detect. They're just ones and zeros floating across borders. No physical money required, just as no physical company need be built in Vanuatu or Belize or on the Isle of Man. These drivers, along with a few other factors, have supercharged criminal enterprises and those willing to serve them for profit. Digital technologies made it possible to move money around the world in seconds, to commingle it easily, clean and dirty. It made it possible for the growth in criminal systems of all sorts and lowered the likelihood of detection. At the heart of this system that serves kleptocrats as much as it does human smugglers, illicit markets, and those who corrupt, coerce, and extort are the black hole entities, legally ambiguous as their relationships to holding companies and other opaque jurisdictions ensure unwinding true ownership is thwarted at every electronic border. Illicit financial flows and the enabling environment of anonymous corporate structures so ably crafted by top lawyers, bankers, and accountants, they become symbiotic. Criminals and elites' money flow together, 
and the lack of transparency fosters the erosion of democratic institutions, it supports autocrats, it denies countries legitimate tax revenue that would otherwise be spent on education, basic public services, and on legitimate growth. The lawyers who put together the impenetrable web of corporations and the government officials that failed to enact and enforce meaningful and effective corporate beneficial ownership transparency laws, you might say they're complicit in this global transnational crime spree. The FinCEN Files investigation showed us that even when financial institutions are prosecuted for money laundering or banking those on blacklists, they continue to accept and move dirty money, constantly. So intertwined are the proceeds of exploitation, abuse, trafficking, degradation, and so myriad the crimes that unchecked our global economy buys shares in the companies that make these dirty financial flows possible. From the earliest iterations of Wirecard, incorporation agents facilitated the complex and convoluted shells that made these flows through Wirecard possible. Remember, Wirecard was a DAX success story. All of those aggrieved investors, they aren't suing now because the company catered to transnational organized crime and had dozens of enablers like O'Sullivan, Van Rennen, Harding, and others to build the vast opaque laundering machine that profited from transnational organized crime. They aren't suing because they're horrified by the thousands of shell companies associated with this company. They aren't even upset that the proceeds of so much of the money that made Wirecard successful and all its so-called TPAs successful were built on crime, some of the grossest possible imaginable. No, it was profit for the corporation. They don't care that punters were defrauded as they played online games. They're just upset because they lost money from an FI they thought could only keep growing. We'll see if the European Commission's proposed new directive, Unshell, targeting shell companies, makes any difference in the coming days. It doesn't propose to eliminate shell companies, merely deny them tax advantages. And one thing criminals rarely care about? Tax advantages. It's the cost of doing business. Just like the narco-traffickers know they'll lose some loads, the lost cost is built in. Sure, you want to optimize, but it's not going to prevent the formation of shell companies. We need to do much more. To start with, we need beneficial ownership transparency in every jurisdiction. And then we need to start holding the professions that enable accountable. Okay, that's it for today. In a future episode, we'll dive into Rafe Buckholtz and how he and some of his companies provide a pivot point between Detmar Nokelman and some of the other key players in the early years of the card. After all, even now, Mr. Payment's consultant includes Payrito in his roster of clients. Payrito being one of Nikki Van Tassen's entities, and Herr Buckholt also consults to Nokelman's wife's entity, Enatech Payments, and many more. And in an upcoming episode, I'll also take listeners for a squirrel around Nicole Libera, nay Lotz, Incorporation Machine Blitzstart, Jin Chang Holding Europe, and other early investors like Alexander Herbst of Van Erfe with Infogenie in the UK back in 1997. Uh-huh. Guernsey and the Isle of Man Incorporated VC firms, Paul Bauer Schlichtegrohl, and so many more. I'm Mikhail Ryder-Gordon. As always, my thanks to you listeners, and my thanks to Tom Fox and the Compliance Podcast Network. Listeners, you know the golden rule. 
keep following the money. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.